Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning, Grace. Let's take our Bibles and open them to the book of Ruth. Joshua Judges Ruth is how I remember it. That's how it's listed in the Bible. If that helps you find Ruth a little bit quicker. Uh, Before we pray, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, you will hear me refer to Yahweh. And when I say that, it's because in the text, in the English translations, when you see the, the word Lord in all capital letters, it is letting you know that this is God's covenant name. When, when he told Moses, you are to lead my people out of Egypt, Moses said, what, who shall I tell them uh, has sent me? And he said, you shall tell them that Yahweh, I am, has sent you. So when you hear me say Yahweh, I am talking about the God that we serve the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So just don't know if I mentioned that last week. I, when you're in the Old Testament, that's how I refer to God when I see it in the text. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself and that through Moses you led your people Israel out of Egypt. And we see a picture there of what you have done for us in your son Jesus, whose very name means Yahweh saves. And so we thank you, Father, for your great love in sending your Son to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that we all deserve, and to be resurrected from the dead, which we could never, ever do on our own, God. And we thank you for giving us your Spirit. May your Spirit open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your Word this morning, and may you get great glory as we revel in your love as we come to the fountain of life this morning to drink and drink. Would you satisfy us again with your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems like it's impossible. It seems like it cannot be true. It seems like if this were true of you, then you would be stuck in a hopeless situation. What am I talking about? I am talking about aquagenic urticaria, being allergic to water. I came up in a staff meeting this week and I was like, there's my opening illustration. Listen to this Wikipedia description of aquagenic urticaria and be prepared to say, duh, and really? Contact with any form of water can cause symptoms to appear. One's own or someone else's sweat can cause a reaction, so most affected people try to stay cool in summer to avoid sweating as much as possible. Tears on one's face from crying can also cause pain. Most people who are allergic to water with aquagenic urticaria try to stay out of the rain. This is where you would insert a duh. (laughs) Try to stay out of the rain and carry umbrellas as a precautionary measure. Thank you. (laughs) Cleansing the body by shower often induces such an intense reaction that affected people may take very short showers to lessen the severity of the pain. There is no known treatment for aquagenic urticaria. Dermatologists recommend avoiding contact with water as much as possible. By taking short 
showers, staying cool, and avoiding rain to ease symptoms. It's sad, but it is apparently true. There are people who suffer from aquagenic urticaria. People can be allergic to water. But you know what else is sad, but apparently true? I and many other sinners like me have an aversion to and may even consider ourselves to be allergic to serving, to sacrifice, and to risk. I'm free enough in the gospel this morning to admit that I like to be served and I do not like serving. I like to be king. I am selfish. I want to be served. I do not like sacrifice. I do not like risk. I do not like laying my life down for others. Frankly, I would like people to do that for me. It's not just me, though. The church is not typically known for being risk takers. We don't normally gravitate to risk and sacrifice especially as Americans. We want, we value, and we crave safety and security. I agree with what Alan Hirsch said. I do think that Christians are very risk-averse. Churches are very, very risk-averse. They are not places that you normally associate with adventure risk or creativity because if you want to be creative you have to risk failure if you want to achieve something beyond the status quo you have to get out of the status quo which means you're not going to make everyone happy but the problem is without that you never go anywhere and so you're stuck in the stifling status quo and that is what many churches are stuck in because we've created this safety awareness this middle class obsession with safety and security i'm afraid that will kill us in the end a little bit of danger is good for us risk doesn't always have to be death defying Doing a job that pushes us out of our comfort zones is very good for us. Middle class obsession with safety and security. John Piper said, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. I mean, that's how I want to live. I live to see you find your joy in Jesus. I am working and pastoring and shepherding and preaching and discipling for your progress and joy in the faith. And I'm doing this because I want my joy to be full. The problem is I don't like the middle part of Piper's quote when he says, your life will be hard and your risks will be high. I am self-centered. I want to be king, and I want all of you to be my servants. So what does a person, a self-centered person like me do? I need the tender reminder of my Savior from Paul's words to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20.35. In all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way... We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is better. 
there is more blessing. There is more happiness. There is more joy in giving than receiving. We will be happier if we give grace. We've bought the lie that happiness comes when people serve us. That's why Paul said, remember, remember, remember the words of our Lord Jesus. You will be happier. Your joy will be full when you remember that it is better to give than to receive. Do you want to be happy? Then give. Serve. Risk. Sacrifice. And if you don't believe me, this Johnny come lately, then today I hope a recently widowed Moabite by the name of Ruth will be able to persuade you otherwise. Our big idea today is hope in God releases radical, risk-taking love that God richly rewards. Hope in God releases radical, risk-taking love that God richly rewards. All those R's are for all you alliteration-loving people, okay? I have to occasionally give you a big idea with all that alliteration. Okay, that's for all you. Here's what I mean when I say that about hoping God. When we are so secure in our relationship with God and we realize that all that we have in God because of Jesus and because of the Spirit of God dwelling in us, then we are free to love, free to serve, free to risk, free to sacrifice, and free to die to ourself. And when we do that, God will richly reward us. And when He does richly reward us, He often blesses us beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. That's what Yahweh does for Ruth because of what she did for Naomi when she did what she did for Naomi. Look at the rewarding God's word in verse 6. And then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord, Yahweh, had visited his people and given them food. Before we move on, let's recap what we learned last week in case some of you were not here. We saw that there was a famine in the land of Judah and that even though the author is silent about the origin of the famine, we made a case that the famine came from Yahweh because of the disobedience of his people, Israel, that he was disciplining them because they had turned away. Remember, the story of Ruth takes place during the time of the book of Judges. As Judges 21, 25 says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And because they weren't living for God, God in his grace and mercy and love sent a famine to capture his people's hearts again. They had abandoned Yahweh. They were worshiping the Canaanite gods Baal and Asherah. And so God was sending his discipline upon his people according to Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Last week, we also met a man named Elimelech, whose name means, my God is king. We met his wife, Naomi. Her name means pleasant or lovely. We met their two sons, Machlon and Kilion, whose names mean sick and dying. We saw that Elimelech, Elimelech left Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. 
to go to the hated land of Moab to wait out the famine and to actually get some bread. And although the author never says this is a bad move, any Israelite would have interpreted it as a bad career move to move behind enemy lines to the nation of Moab. And so we saw that there is this danger that happens in our lives when we disconnect ourselves from the community of faith from the church. And then we saw last week that Elimelech died. And so did both of Elimelech and Naomi's sons. So that Naomi was left in a foreign country with no husband and no boys to take care of her. In fact, we saw, as the author says, that her baby boys died even though they were married. They were still her baby boys. And we saw that it's a patriarchal society at the time where women are dependent upon men for survival. So she has no one, no man in her life to take care of her. And so we left off last week wondering, what will happen to widowed Naomi? She's behind enemy lines in Moab. There's no man who will take care of her and protect her. It's the time of the judges when everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. And we were left off last week wondering, will Naomi survive? All of the tragedy and pain and loss that has come to her life. And so now, in today's text, we see Naomi leaving Moab, heading back to her hometown of Bethlehem. And she's accompanied by her two Moabite, not Israelite, her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And here we begin to see a light breaking into the darkness of Naomi's world because as she's in the fields of Moab, she hears Yahweh has visited his people. And she knows what that word means, visited. It's this Hebrew word, pakad. It occurs all over the Old Testament. It's an interesting word. It means to pay attention to, to observe, or to visit. When used negatively, it is used in context where Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, visits people by punishing them or bestowing judgment on them. He does this with the Amalekites, he says in 1 Samuel 15 too, I will visit them, I will pakad them. Them. When it's used positively, it means to be concerned about, to care for, to intervene on behalf of, to come to the aid of. And the word is always used with how Yahweh's visit, his pakad, changes people's destiny either for better or for worse. One's destiny is changed when the Lord comes to visit you. And when this word is used positively of Yahweh visiting people in the Old Testament, it means that he intervened in their lives to change their circumstances and change their destiny. And that's what he does for his people here in verse 6. The NIV translation really captures the heart of Ruth 1.6 when it says, Naomi heard in Moab that Yahweh the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. That's how our God works. That's how our God is. That's how the triune God is. He comes to his people. God's grace is active. God's love is active. Biblical love is active. It is not static. It moves. Biblical love has legs. It involves 
action. And here we see the Lord's love for his people as evidenced by his moving to them and providing them food because they've been in a famine. And ultimately, we see that God moves to us in the gospel because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But we will see Ruth move too. She will not be static. She will take action. She will move towards an old, wrinkly, Israelite widow who happens to be her mother-in-law. Ruth will incarnate or flesh out our big idea today that hope in God releases radical, risk-taking love that God richly rewards. Look at verse 7 with me. So Naomi set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Here we have Naomi heading back to the land of Judah because she got wind of the Lord's grace and goodness. And then it's as if the camera kind of pulls back, if you will, and you get this aerial shot of these three widows walking along a dirt road uh, back to Judah, back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread because they heard food is there. But the reader should be curious at this point. Why are two Moabite women accompanying an old Israelite woman back to Judah, back to Israel? It's strange for several reasons. First, the Israelites hate the Moabites. Are these women crazy? Do they really want to go live behind enemy lines for them, the Moabites, and to go live with the Israelites? Secondly, it's strange because... They must be crazy because what daughter-in-law wants to live with her mother-in-law? My wife being the only exception, of course. And then it's as if the story slows down. It's as if the camera suddenly zooms in on these three women and Naomi stops dead in her tracks. Naomi has been thinking, these women are crazy Why are they staying with me? I have nothing going for me in this world. I have no husband and I have no boys to take care of me. I am in a hopeless situation. No husbands, no husband, no sons. And so she stops so they can talk about it. And that's what women do, right? They talk about things. They have to process their feelings. Women love to talk. Men, do me a favor and look at the text. Women talk. The application for you men is listen to your wives because your wives want to talk to you. Women talk. It's biblical. It's, it's in the text. In fact, last week, Tabitha, our four-year-old, would not go to sleep. And I kept saying, Tabitha, you need to quit talking and go to sleep. And she said, Daddy, the reason I'm talking is because I'm talking. And if I can come sleep in your bed, then I'll stop talking. (laughs) Women talk. This would have been three men walking back to Bethlehem. They would have walked miles and miles and miles with no conversation at all until one of them broke the silence with, do you want some beef jerky? 
And that probably would have been it, aside from a few grunts and like, ugh, ugh, ugh. that's it. These are women, and they're going to stop, and they're going to talk. And so Naomi stops them, and she basically says, go home to your families. And then she prays a blessing or a wish upon them. She prays that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, would deal kindly with them as they have dealt kindly with her and her dead husband and her sons. And she's praying that they would find security in the arms of new husbands. Let's unpack each of Naomi's requests here in verses 8 and 9. She says, May the Lord deal kindly with you and may you find rest or security in the house of your new husbands. There's something fascinating here with the word deal kindly. It's, it's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, which in many ways is kind of like a popcorn seed. It's this little word with a big meaning that we just can't get it fit down to one word. It's like when you break up, breaking open an old thermometer and that mercury comes out. You can't pin it down. Hesed is kind of like that. It's like a popcorn kernel that needs to be popped. You just can't nail it down with one English word. Hesed means loyalty, devotion, commitment, faithfulness, kindness, goodness. It typically gets translated in our English translations as steadfast love. So you see it all over the Bible. In the Old Testament. In fact, Psalm 136, you get that refrain and it says, The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And it keeps going over and over each line. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Hesed, 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 hesed. G.R. Clark says this about hesed. Hesed is not merely an attitude or emotion. It is an emotion that leads to an activity beneficial to the recipient. A beneficent action performed in the context of a deep and enduring commitment between two persons or parties by one who is able to render assistance to the needy party who in the circumstances is unable to help him or herself. So hesed, or as I would define it, loyal covenant love is not just an attitude or an emotion. It is an emotion with legs it is an emotion that leads to action. It's an active love and an active devotion. It is not static. And Hesed involves two parties that are committed to one another, where one of the parties is able to help the other party who can't help him or herself. And this is exactly what Naomi is praying for Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law. She says, may Yahweh show you hesed. May he move toward you. May he assist you. May he bless you. Just like the way that you have moved towards me, the way you have blessed me, the way you have shown me hesed. May Yahweh show you hesed the same way you have shown me hesed. And she prays that they would find security in the arms of new husbands. She knew in this patriarchal society that if Ruth and Orpah were ever to make it, they needed men in their life to provide for them. And so she prays that Yahweh would bless them as they returned to Moab and they would find new husbands. This then highlights the hesed shown by Ruth and Orpah to Naomi. They demonstrated hesed to Naomi by staying by her side this whole time. By yoking themselves with her, they were showing her hesed. Now Naomi prays that God would show them hesed and reward their devotion by giving them new husbands. 
Remember, hesed is not just a feeling. It's a feeling and emotion that leads to action. And so we have two young hipster widows choosing to stay with an old widow. That's hesed. We have two daughters-in-law devoted to their mother-in-law. That is hesed. They could have gone away, but they chose to stay with Naomi. Ruth and Orpah show Naomi hesed precisely by staying with her. They gave Naomi themselves. Notice how deeply personal the devotion of Ruth and Naomi was in verses 9 and 10. It says that they wept at the thought of leaving their mother-in-law. Most women weep at the thought of their mother-in-law. Or they rejoice at their mother-in-law's leaving. And these women are dedicated to their mother-in-law. They're devoted to her. This will change next week for Orpah. She will leave her mother-in-law. But at this point in the narrative, she is committed to Naomi. And it says they wept intensely. This is the word that's used throughout the Old Testament for weeping, which is, happens of uh, mourning a tragedy, like at a funeral. This is, these are, this is crying. This was loyal, devoted love by Ruth and Orpah to Naomi. This was not fake it until you make it. They cared deeply for Naomi and her pain and her loss. They weren't just crying. They were crying. And because of their love for her, they were willing to yoke themselves up with a needy woman and risk it all. This was true of Jim Elliott and his four friends who reached out to the Alka or the Waadani Indians in Ecuador. And most of us know their story. Even though they had guns and they could have shot the ten Waadani warriors that came and speared them on the beach. They reasoned, we can die because we know Jesus. We are ready for heaven. The Wa'adani do not know Jesus yet. They are not ready for eternity. You see, their hope lied in God so they could risk their very lives to reach a savage people with the gospel. That's what hope does. Hope in God releases radical, risk taking love that God richly rewards. Ruth and Orpah were prepared to sacrifice for Naomi. Ruth and Orpah were prepared to risk their lives and their very futures by leaving their homeland, by leaving their families, their brothers, their sisters, their mom and dad, their cousins, their friends, and to go with widowed Naomi back to a foreign land. They could have sent Naomi on on her way to Judah. But they started the journey with her, not thinking of themselves and what they could gain from it. Their eyes were on their mother-in-law and how they could be a blessing and a benefit to her. They were hopelessly devoted to Naomi. They had no hope in the world. They had no hope in this world. Their hope was rooted in the eternal God or at least Ruth was, because we will see Orpah leave Naomi next week. But at this point in the story, Ruth and Naomi have and are extending hesed. Ruth and Orpah are extending hesed to Naomi. Ruth, though, is hoping in Yahweh the Lord. Why do I say that she was hoping in Yahweh the Sovereign Lord? Because she had heard about Yahweh all these years, probably from her husband and from Elimelech. 
and from Naomi. All these years they heard, had heard stories of Yahweh and his kindness, his hesed, his devotion to his people. And they had recently heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had pecad, he had provided for his people, he had visited them and changed their destiny. And this new hope in Yahweh had caused them to leave home. It was at least true for Ruth. This new hope caused Ruth to risk it all. She was devoted to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And on the surface, it seems hopeless. But Ruth had hope in the Lord. She seems hopelessly devoted to Naomi. But her hope was not rooted in Naomi, but Naomi's God, as we'll see in a few weeks when she says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Ruth's security in the Lord freed her from the enslaving chains of safety and security and selfishness. Ruth shines like a beacon to us in the darkness of our selfishness. Ruth's devotion to Naomi should rattle the cages of our selfishness that we have locked ourselves inside. Ruth's devotion to Naomi should get in our face this morning because we are all averse to risk and sacrifice in serving. We value and we crave safety and security. We look out for ourselves. Ruth is here this morning to rebuke us. Ruth is here to say, I totally agree with my Lord's words in Acts twenty thirty five when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I am living proof of that. Ruth would tell us several things today. First, that God cares for and provides for the needy, the hurting, and the down and out. That's what the book of Ruth is about. God cares for and provides for the needy, the hurting, and the down and out. The second thing that Ruth would tell us this morning is that God often meets the needs of the needy, hurting, and down and out through his people who risk and sacrifice for the needy, the hurting, and the down and out. God often meets the needy, hurting, and down and out's needs through his people who sacrifice and give up their belongings to help those who can't help themselves. And thirdly, God rewards his people who demonstrate hesed to the needy, hurting, and down and out. God even rewards them beyond their lifetime and beyond their wildest dreams. We will see more of this in Ruth in the coming weeks. But as Ruth shows Hesed to Naomi, we will see that God will reward her with a husband and a child. And in time, a grandson, King David. And in time, the King David that the prophets talked about, none other than King Jesus. And it all happens on this dirt road when Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I will not leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. God will bless Ruth beyond her wildest imagination in her wildest dreams. Actually, he will bless her because of what takes place in this moment on this dirt road. God will bless Ruth beyond her lifetime. And she never even saw it. But she saw it one day when God himself came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, 
Hope in God releases radical, risk-taking love that God richly rewards. And we will see God richly reward Naomi for her hesed and devotion to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Do you have hope in Jesus? When you realize that you have everything that you will ever need in this life, in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, it actually frees you to die to yourself and to just go serve and sacrifice and risk and love others. When you realize how rich you are in Jesus, you're free to give away your belongings and your money and your time to other people so that it would benefit them. And when you do that, God will... God will richly reward you. As Hebrews 6 says, write down Hebrews 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 and 11. Let me read them to you. We're not going to have them on the screen. But this is what the writer of Hebrews says. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still What was this uh, work that they did for God's glory and for the good of the saints? You go fast forward to chapter 10, 34. It says you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence or your hope, which has a great reward. And then he starts talking about living by faith. And the context is suffering. The context is is giving away your belongings, dying to yourself, helping other people in the context of suffering. And he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That we're hoping for a better possession so we can give away our possessions and our time and money and talents now. And then you get to Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's what the people in the book of Hebrews were doing. And the writer was saying, God's not going to forget your hard work. He's not going to forget that when you went to visit that brother or sister in prison because they were locked up for serving Jesus, he's not going to forget that you lost your property. He's not going to forget the hardship that came into your life because you stuck your neck out for another believer. He will reward you when you come to him. And I would argue, and I don't have the time to say it, but I would argue that the reward is none other than God himself. That the reward of eternity and the reward of heaven is getting more and more of God. Both in this life and in the life to come. That the reward is not the mansion. I don't want a mansion. I'm not even drawn to a mansion. I want Jesus. I want more of him for eternity. And I want more of him now. Do you want more of Jesus in your life? Do you want more of Jesus? Do you want to know him more? The way you do that is by giving everything away. Giving away your time and sacrificing and taking great risks. And it brings good to other people. And it brings God to you. So you don't lose your money. You don't lose your time. You don't lose your talent. Because you get reimbursed with God himself.
So serve in ministry here for the good of others and for more of God that you will receive. Sacrifice here for the good of others and sacrifice so that you get more of God in this life and in the life to come. Serve as a missionary overseas. Leave your homeland to see others come to treasure Jesus. Listen, high school students, college students, people drifting and you're just working at Starbucks and you don't know what's going on in your life. The coolest thing in the world is to leave your family and your homeland behind and go overseas and tell people about Jesus and see some unreached nation come to treasure treasure Jesus. Are you floating in life? Be like Ruth and leave your family behind and go point to Jesus overseas and then get more of God while you're over there and get more of God in eternity. Serve at home, serve at work, serve in your neighborhood, disciple someone and like Ruth, God will richly reward you beyond your wildest imaginations. You see hope in God. When you, are, when you hope in him and all that he is for you in Jesus and you realize that you have everything that you would ever need, it actually releases you to this radical, out of this world, crazy. People will scratch their heads and say, what in the world are you doing? Risk-taking love that God will then richly reward. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us when God visited when God pacod us in the deadness of our sins when we were rebels is that he sent Jesus. Jesus rested in the glory that he had. He rested in his relationship with his father. He sacrificed it all and God richly rewarded him. God was pleased with Jesus, scripture says over and over again. God came to us His grace was active. It was not static. He sent Jesus to save us from our love affair with ourselves. God sent Jesus to save me from my love affair with that person that I see in the mirror every day. God sent Jesus to shatter the mirrors that I built around myself. And I say, I like that person. And he sent Jesus to shatter that that I would be restored to him and then that I would go and serve others. May we lay down our lives for others that we may get more of God and that God may get more glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this risk-taking love that we see in Ruth, but we know ultimately we see in your son how you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. May your son's life, death, and resurrection transform us that we become a people who risk who serve, who sacrifice. May we become a people like Ruth who show hesed to others. And then may you above all get great glory when we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 